0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Parsha Share. This week we're going to be talking about hide and seek. That's the uh, title of today's talk on the Parsha. Now, it's actually a very important Parsha, a pair of parsha. You know why? Because it's my Bar Mitzvah Parsha. And it's sovin is my Bar Mitzvah Parsha. And in uh, 1983, I lained both Parshaists. Now, before you feel too sorry for me for having two uh, um, two cedrus to read. I just want to assure you that these are the two shorter cedrus in the Torah and even in combined form are shorter than most other cedrus So don't feel too sorry for me. So sometimes when we have Nitzovim and VaYelech together I talk about uh, mm-hmm. Nitzovim. This year I'm going to talk about VaYelech, And we're going to look at a pasuk which you're probably I don't want to say familiar with you're somewhat aware of. Um, it's it's a group of sukkim which um, contained within a conversation that God was having with Moshe. So this was in between um, the the uh, second last address of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu gave a series of drushes. The longest one is in Parshas Ki um but uh, he gave a series of drushes before he died, and um, he gave. Uh, a, a drosha in Parashas Nitzovim. Then he had a conversation with, or a, a series of conversations with God in Parashas Vayelach. And then HaAzinu, again, is another drosha. And then we have V'zois HaBrocha, which is the last parsha, which we're going to be reading on, you know when, Simchas Toira. So, um, we're going to look at a vignette, a short piece from the conversation that God had with Moshe Rabbeinu. And it's, um, I wouldn't say it's, um, it's out of the ordinary for a conversation that he had with Moshe Rabbeinu. There's various similar conversations that he had with him over the years, but it contains one particular piece. Um, the conversation contains one particular aspect, which is fairly unique to this particular conversation between God and Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses. And therefore, we're going to focus on that. That is the introduction. Let me read you the Pesukim. So um, I'm sure that Carly has already uh, furnished you with the source sheet. And of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, there it is. And on SoundCloud, you can click on the link, you can get the source sheet. Similarly, if you're on my website, you can just click on the link and you'll get the short source sheet can print it off. And it's we uh, can just look at it online. It will come up as a PDF and you can read it along with me as I am giving the share. It's a Pasuk in Dvarim Perik Lamed Alev, Pasuk uh, Teszain. God said to Moses, Hincha Shaikhav im You're about to die. Okay? You're about to lie with your fathers. It's a euphemistically expressed. The And when you're dead, you know what's going to happen? This people that you lead, the Zona achare neichar haaretz, ashehu vashama bakirboy. They're going to go astray and they're going to go after alien gods from the land which they are about to enter. And they will forsake me. And they will break my covenant that I made with them. That's what God says. I mean, obviously it's God and he knows who he's dealing with. Do you know how he knows human nature so well? Because he created humanity. And he knows that with the best will in the world, and despite every good intention, there will be moments when the Jewish people will abandon him for other glittering treasures. In this particular instance, he's talking about Avodah Zora, but Avodah Zora comes in many different forms. They will abandon God. That's the essential component of this... That once Moshe Rabbeinu is not there to direct them, to lead them, to guide them, to inspire them, they will abandon God and they will go off in another direction. And the next Pasuk is Pasuk Yudzain, the api boy. And my anger will flare up against them. By ha'u on that day, the Azavtim. And I will abandon them. They have abandoned me, I will abandon them. The Histarti Ponai mayhem now this is the key piece this is the bit that i'm going to focus on i will hide my face from them Um, and they shall be ready to be eaten they'll be prey for the carnivores ra'is rabbis, and many evils and troubles that tzarais will befall them will happen to them. b'ayimahu, and what will they say? What's going to happen when all the terrible things happen to them as a result of them having abandoned me, a stage one, and me abandoning them, a stage two? Mahu, they will say on that day, Haloi al Eloikai Do you know why this is happening? Surely it is because our God is not in our midst. That is why these evils have come upon us. In other words, there will be an ah moment. The penny will drop and the Jewish people will say, at least this is the way it's being conveyed at this stage. You're going to see that there are other meforashim, other commentaries, other explanations for this. But just on the most basic level, they will say, the reason why this is happening is because God is not in our midst. And then the Pasuk continues, and this is extremely puzzling as we're going to see. Pasuk Yud Chesva, Anoichi Haster Astir Ponai by Yoim Hahu. And um, God continues, I will surely keep my countenance hidden on that day, Al Kola on all the bad, Asher Osa, that they have done, Kifono El Elohim Acherim, because they have turned. Or they were turning to other gods. They were distracted by things that weren't me. And that is what's going to happen. So I'm not going to go into too much detail about the psukim. I think you get the general gist. Which is that there will be a point in Jewish history. And what God is telling Moshe is that there will come a time when the Jewish people abandon me. And as a, almost it sounds like as a direct result of that, I will abandon them. They're going to realize that um, I have abandoned them and that I'm no longer in their midst. And then I will abandon them again. So that seems to be the trajectory here. And it's a little bit puzzling. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at Rashi and Ibn Ezra. So you know, it's, it's very rare that you find that that Rashi and Ibn Ezra are so closely aligned on something, because usually Rashi goes with a medrash and Ibn Ezra goes with a rational explanation. I'm imagining here that the rational explanation is very similar to the Midrashic explanation. The Histarati panai says Rashi, I will surely hide my face from them. What, what does that mean? <laughs> As though I do not see their distress. So Rashi seems to be indicating that the one is a consequence of the other. That because they don't see me, I do not see them. By the way, what it's telling you is that God is going to suffer as a result of the Jewish people abandoning him. And now he is going to make them suffer by abandoning them. Then, we ha- and the, um, the next thing is Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra says, Haster astir. She'im yikru'u. Um, a lie. If they call out to me, says Ibn Ezra, haster astir, I will be hidden. What does that mean? Loi I will not respond. The analogy is to a man who cannot be seen, so no one knows what he is going to do. Ibn Ezra again is saying that God is always apparent in our lives. We see his hand. We see his presence. Somehow we are aware of his presence. But there will come a point in, in, in general terms when we have abandoned God where we will not be able to see God's hand in anything that we do. That's what Ibn Ezra is saying. Essentially, Rashi and Ibn Ezra are both saying exactly the same thing. If you abandon God, God will abandon you. The problem is that it doesn't quite fit into the psukim. Um, and the Ramban is going to address that in a moment. But I'm, I'm going to give a more general Um, theological question, which is, how are we to understand that God abandons his people? How exactly are we meant to understand that? What exactly does it actually mean? You know, God is always here. So there's going to be a time when God isn't here. And you know that uh, sometimes you ask somebody a question and you don't get an answer. And not getting an answer is also an answer. That doesn't mean there was no answer it means you didn't get the answer you expected or in the way that you expected it but it doesn't mean it's not an answer so what does it mean that god abandons the jewish people that he's not present that he's not available he's not going to answer them it doesn't even make any sense so even though on a very superficial level we can understand what rashi and ibn ezra are saying at uh, even a slightly deeper level, it doesn't really make sense. And that's what the Ramban addresses. I'm going to read you the English translation that I've put in here. And he says as follows. He's, He's really going to be answering two questions. This is source number three. First of all, why mention this because god is not in our midst and why the repetition there's a repetition if you remember the psukim started in the second pasuk it said we start mehem," i will hide my face from them and then the third Posuk it says so it says it again why say something twice if it's enough to do it the first time why do it a second time So I hinted at that question before, but the Ramban is focusing on the fact that actually it's doubled up. It already said, Why say it again? What is the point of saying it again? Says the Ramban, the reason for saying, I will surely keep my countenance hidden a second time is because it means I will hide myself not then, but at some other time. Not at the moment when this Um, misdemeanor occurred but at some other time why because Israel thought in their hearts that they had sinned to God and that their troubles are because God was not in their midst which makes a lot of sense and that therefore they are therefore worthy of God's great kindness helping them and saving them because through this acknowledgement they had already by default disowned their idolatry so when they say that because God is not in our midst, remember the Pasuk says al that is some kind of admission, it becomes the first part of what we would call the teshuvah process and this by the way dovetails so beautifully with Elul and in this period before Rosh Hashanah that this really, the concept here is will they do to Shuvah and God is predicting to Moshe Rabenu in this conversation that the Jewish people will do to Shuvah he will hide himself from them and they will say oh one second do you know why things are going wrong because God is not in our midst now they're going to think the fact that they acknowledge that God isn't their midst that is to Shuvah therefore it says that for all the great evil that they had done trusting in idolatry he will hide his countenance from them further again More, not as in the first hiding of his face, in which he hid his merciful countenance, and many evils and troubles befell them. So that was the first stage, that was to get them to realise that they had done something wrong, says the Ramban. But in this situation, rather, that the countenance of redemption would be hidden from them, that there's a further level of countenance, in other words, I don't want to put it to you too bluntly, but I think you'll know what I mean when I say there are many faces of God. God is not a one-dimensional thing. There's a face of God which is His countenance of mercy. Now they've started the Teshuva process, and therefore the countenance of mercy is once more revealed to them, but they've not yet got the full face of God. He's still the Aster aste Because um, even as a, result, as a result of the fact that they had done something wrong to him by abandoning him, there's still an extra level of his face which will not be available to them, even though they realise that he's not in their midst. So, the answer to the first question that the Ramban is, is addressing is that because God is not in our midst, is how the people expressed regret for their sins. By the way, that's the first stage of Teshuvah. You need to know you've done something wrong and regret it. God is not in our midst. Suddenly they realise, one second, God isn't in our midst. That's why our lives are just not right. But nevertheless, they've not yet attained complete repentance because they're not fully confessed Their sins. Remember what the Rambam says. And the Rambam doesn't directly reference the Rambam. But that's what he's basically doing, is he's conveying the same idea of Maimonides. That in order for you to gain full forgiveness from God, it's not enough to know that you've done something wrong, or even to say, I'm never going to do it again. You need to confess you need to convey the fact. You need, by the way, Vidui is not the right word. The translation is not right. Uh, if you use the translation, confess. The translation, perhaps, in English, should be apology. You need to say sorry if you've done something wrong. And for this reason, says the Ramban, there's going to be a 2nd haster haste-aste-ponai. Not to punish the people more, but to get them to confess their wrongdoing fully and properly. You need to confess. It's not good enough to know you've done something wrong inside yourself. You need to verbalize it. You need to act out a confession. Somehow, you need to go through that cathartic process in order for you to change yourself and to be forgiven by God. So the first time when it says, ponai, is just to get you to realize you've done something wrong. But the second time, is to get you to apologise, to fully go through that cleansing process of Teshuvah. And the reason behind the second hiding of his countenance, says Ramban, is not the same as the first. In the first, the people are being punished, while in the second, the people will be prevented from, as it were, witnessing Gula redemption, until they complete all the stages of repentance. That's the Ramban's idea. The Sforno says something slightly different. He says as follows, I'm going to read you the translation, this is source number 4. I will keep my countenance hidden from them. Not as they thought when they said, it is because I'm not with them. In other words, the previous posse where it says that God is not Bekirbi, is not within us, in our midst. For wherever they shall be, my presence shall be there. So he directly addresses this question that I um uh focused on when we read Rashi and Ibn Ezra. Of course God is always with you. There's no such thing as God not being with you. So it's not because of what they thought when they said, I'm not with them, because wherever they are, my presence is there. As we know it's it's a Gemara in Megillah. Megillah says wherever Israel was exiled, the divine presence remained with them. That's what it says. Shegalu, anywhere where they were god is with them what does it mean but i shall hide my countenance in not delivering them yes i'm with them yes i'm together with them and i'm in their midst but because of all the evil they have done to themselves i will not deliver them because they turned to other gods because when they had troubles as a result of their sins they did not look to me for help with repentance and prayer but looked for deliverance by worshipping other gods. So this is something slightly different than the Ramban. What, what the Sforno is saying is that the people will misinterpret the first hiding of God's countenance by thinking that God has actually abandoned them. They all think that that's the punishment. That's not part of the teshuva process. They think that God isn't there, and now they're bereft of God's existence. By the way, that's a bit of a test, right? When you don't feel God, in your midst, that's a bit of a test. Instead of turning to God and trying to beg him to come back into their lives, they turned to idolatry. They will turn to idolatry. This first hiding of his countenance was an initial punishment for wrongdoing. But in any event, the mistaken conclusion regarding God's presence brought on the second hiding of his countenance. So the Svarno does not interpret this idea of them recognizing God not being in their midst as the beginning of the teshuva process, he says that's part of their sinning, that God is telling Moshe Rabbeinu they're going to be sinning by saying, I'm not in their midst. And according to the Sforanah, we're not dealing with stages of repentance, but with two stages of punishment. They will um, make things worse by saying God is not in their midst. I'm now going to share with you a beautiful, Beautiful Haktava HaKabbalah. Um, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the Haktava um, He was a very, very interesting man, fascinating, really fascinating individual. His name was Rabbi Yaakov Tzvi Mecklenburg, and he was a German rabbi. He was born in 1785. He was probably a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva Eger. He mentions him many times in his, um, in his uh, commentary on the Torah, which is called HaKetavah Hakabbalah, originally he was in business. And like was very often the case with scholars in business, perhaps he spent too much on scholarship and not enough on his business affairs, and things went sour for him, and he took on the position as the Chief Rabbi of East Prussia, of Königsberg, where he remained for something like uh, 30 years, 35 years, and he died in 17, 18, sorry, 1865, he was 80 years old, and he was a friend of the Malbim. The Malbim also spent some time in Königsberg, and they both wrote incredible perushim commentaries on the um, on the Torah. And their main focus was to defend to defend normative orthodox Judaism, traditional Judaism, from attacks by Maskilim and reformers, who were trying to undermine the veracity and um, claim that there was no authenticity in the Torah, or at least it wasn't relevant to us, it's an interesting historical document, but it's not relevant to us. So the Malbim did it in one way, he did it in another way, and it's an incredible parish. It's not so looked at today. Sometimes he can be a bit long-winded. But here we have a really, really beautiful piece addressing this exact point about the... First, it says, <laughs> And the second one, it says, <laughs> So what does it mean? <laughs> this is source number five. <laughs> if they admit that God is not in their midst, he says, let's face it, the fact that people who are atheists say that the reason why there's nothing in their lives which is going right is because God is not in our midst, is an incredible admission. So if they went after other gods, pagan gods, I mean, I, I use the word atheist, In other words, somebody who doesn't believe in one creator God suddenly says, well, the reason why my life is no good is because God isn't in my life. That's an incredible admission. How is it possible that God says in reaction to this that I will hide my face from them? Why would he he hide his face from them if they've already made this incredible admission that God exists? On the contrary, he should shower them with his countenance. So he says, let's look exactly what the posuk says. What does it say? I will surely hide my face on that day. mi And you know what? The posuk, Hashem, doesn't say who he's going to hide his face from. Kileel, earlier on in the previous posuk, what does it say, Omar? Vistarti ponai mehem. I will hide my face from them. Shepirish haastorot ti mehem. When they run away from me and they worship other gods, do you know how I'm going to hide my face? I'm going to hide it from them. Haastorot ti mehem. Avulkan. Stam. Ladova. right um sosam st- um, but here he seems to have not um, specified he seems to have kind of generically addressed this issue by saying i'm going to hide my face on that day but it doesn't say who he's going to hide his face from nira therefore he comes up with a very novel interpretation he says in my opinion do you know what this is about chakos p'ir, me yastir? That actually, this Hastorah, do you know who God is hiding himself from? I'm going to give you a completely um, upside down interpretation, something you would never have thought of. It's the complete opposite of what you might have imagined. Aste Ponai is not what you thought originally. Vakavonochi Babu Mehem. And the intention here is even though that as a result of their sins I will hide or God will hide his face from them and as a result many bad things and sorrows um, are going to happen to them. And as a result of the difficulties of, of their situation which God will have created, God will have generated this negative situation for them. As a result of that, it will um, it will lead them to recognize their sins and their rebellion. The yoidan they will acknowledge. The Yoimar Cain by Yoimahu, the Loikodem. And on that day, they will say, the reason why this has all happened to us is because God is not in our midst. They're going to recognize. So, initially, why? Because of the bad that they have done. But the truth is, that's not enough. You know, there's two types of methods of getting people to realize what they need to be doing. There's carrot and stick, right? This is a real stick reaction. That you didn't listen to Hashem and you ran away from God and God abandoned you and things went wrong and now you don't want things to be wrong and therefore you come back to Hashem. Says the Ketavah Kabbalah. That's not a good teshuva. That's a very weak teshuva. It's at the lowest level of the teshuva ladder. The reason why you're doing teshuva is because things are going wrong in your life. It shouldn't really work. Kivan Shehi Loi it didn't happen at the moment when the sin took place. It happened later because there was a punishment. Because of their situation. The fact is that they should remain wallowing in their sin and the bad things that they've done because the truth is they're only abandoning it because God got them into trouble and God gave them problems. That's why things have gone wrong in their life and that's why they're saying, oh, the reason it happened is because God isn't in our life. So God is now going to be back in their life and then they're just going to go back to their bad ways. Right? Says the Chetavah Kabbalah wrong. Nevertheless, God says, even though they don't deserve to have my forgiveness as David HaMelech says in Tehillim hide your face from my sins and all of my sins wipe away do you know what the second hiding is says the Kabbalah. it's so beautiful that God will hide his face, as it were, from their sins. He will turn a blind eye to the sins that the Jewish people have done once they recognize that he's not in their midst. That's exactly what it means that he wipes away the sins. Because they are, as it were, airbrushed out of his immediate sight. He doesn't look at them. He doesn't want to see them. They may not deserve it, but that's what God does. The Layabit bahem, and he won't look at them ever again. Kein Haster Asteponai Al Kol Hara. And that's what the Posuk means when it says, I will hide my face al on all the bad, not the bad that's happening to you, but the bad that you have done. Hastorah al The hastara, the hiddenness. Is from all the bad that they have done I will airbrush it out I will pretend it doesn't exist. The moment that they say I will I'll call I'm not going to look at their bad. When they, that they did when they turned towards pagan gods. And I won't remember those sins anymore. As if they didn't exist. Because the mere fact that they were willing to acknowledge. They were willing to make this admission. They're atheists, God deniers, heretics. And now they say, one second, our lives are terrible. Do you know why? Because God isn't in our lives that is sufficient reason. That is enough for me to be in a situation. That's what the second Pasuk means. For asteponai, all their bad no longer exists as far as I am concerned. Zu. That chuva, not like the Ramban said, certainly nothing like the Rashi in the Ibn Ezra. That Teshuva. Is enough as far as I'm concerned. The acknowledgement of my existence is sufficient for me to move on and have a relationship with them. And that's what the Aktav HaKabbalah says um, to explain the second posuk, which mentions God hiding himself from them. Let's look now at the Shem Mishmuel, the Sochat And he has an interesting take. His idea is that turning towards idolatry is not actually idolatry. How does that work? He says it's bad, but it's not actually idolatry. Let's see what he means. The posuk says, and they will say on that day, it's because God is not in our midst that these bad things have come upon us. And God says, and I will hide my face on that day. Kiphana el Elohim Acherim because they turned towards other gods. Kiphana el Elohim Acherim. Ve'hikshuari shaynim says the She'emi Shmuel that the early commentaries asked the following question. Sh'achar havidui sh'omru al ki'ein elik hay bekirbi metzuni arayisaile. After this confession, this apology, this acknowledgement, this admission that they say that it's because that God is not in our midst that these bad things have come upon us, lama oid yastiponov mehem? That's the question we've been dealing with. Why should God continue to hide his face from them? ovi adoneni And he says, my father... Incredible. The Sokotcheva's father, who was a son-in-law, of course, also he was the first Sokhacheva Rebbe, and his father-in-law was the Kotzka. The Shemishmo was a grandson of the Kotzka Rebbe. He says, My father answered as follows, Tirates, loy osu teshuva, elo al He says there's different levels of teshuva. Not different. Remember early on we spoke about different levels of the countenance of God? He's saying that there are different levels of teshuva. They didn't do teshuvah except for on the guf ha'aveira. What's the guf ha'aveira? The physical aspect, I guess, or the, somehow the, the essence of the sin. Shegarma le siluk That which led to the shechina, to God's presence, disappearing. Right? That's what they did teshuvah on. They said, Al kieinah le kirbi, What does that tell you? That their uh, their only concern was the lack of God's presence. I'm not saying only concern. That in in and of itself is a great concern. But that is to do with the guf ha'aveira. But they've not addressed the source of the sin. That brought them to sin in the first place. Right? What happened? How come God abandoned us? Okay, now we've welcomed God back into our lives. But why did God abandon us in the first place? What happened? What went wrong? And he says, "You should know something. This is a, a, a typical example of the thin end of the wedge." What are we saying? You start off by doing something which isn't so bad, not such a big deal. I did something; it's not. A, what's the big deal? I just I wasn't quite as diligent as I should have been. Perhaps I took my eye off the ball for a moment, but here I'm still. I'm on track Do you know what the sin was? Doing something which was seemingly insignificant and that brings you into significant sin They turned towards other gods He says Simply inclining yourself slightly ...towards other gods. That's not considered idol worship. I'm not worshipping an idol. You know there was this huge discussion at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, it happened in Israel with great one of the great professors, Klausner, writing a book in praise of, of Jesus. And then there was uh, here in America... You had um, Rabbi Weiss, who was a Reform rabbi, even though he came from an Orthodox background, also gave a speech in synagogue in which he praised Jesus. And there was an absolute outcry. Not necessarily because we have anything to say about Christians worshipping um, any part of their faith, but acknowledging in shul that Jesus has something to add to Judaism or to religious faith is something which is the beginning of abandoning your Judaism. It starts there and it ends al Ki ein the Kirby. That's how it starts. Enenu Abdaina Voida. Nobody thought that Professor Joseph Klausner had become a Christian. Nobody thought that Rabbi Weiss, who was Rabbi Wise, who was Stephen S. Wise, who was a Reform Rabbi, had become a Christian. And he says, the Sheh Mishmur says, Rashi says, do not turn towards idols, do not turn towards foreign gods, because once you turn towards them, Do you know what's going to happen? Ultimately, you may embrace them, as faith models, and worse, you may make them into your God. We have a faith. Our faith is unbreakable and unshakable. We believe in God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth and the universe. That is the God that we have. Don't be a poine el Elohim Do not turn towards other gods. Even though... By turning towards another god, that does not mean you are an idol worshipper. That's not the point. But you've not addressed, when you just say, Ki ena le kirubi, you've not actually addressed the root of the problem, which is that you turned towards other gods. That somehow you were drawn to something that distracted you from your primary objective as a Jew. And this is what the Shemishmuel's father said, and on this they have not yet done Teshuvah, which is why. And that's why there is a second, as it were, hiding of Hashem's countenance, of God's countenance from the Jewish people. That's exactly what it means. We have to be proud of our faith. We have to be proud of us being Jews. We don't have to have a chip on our shoulder. And even if we know that when things go wrong, it's because we haven't been entirely faithful, we may not recognize that the root of the problem is not that we were idol worshippers, but that we were rather wishy-washy in our being full-fledged Jews. And finally, this is the final source in our share today, the Shiloh HaKadosh, a beautiful piece, and it's based on a Gemara, in Chulin, daf Kuf Lamed base The Shlaha HaKadosh, by the way, he's the original Ish Horowitz. Anybody you've met who's called Horowitz, who's a Levi, is descended from the Shelah. He was the first one and he published his book in 1698. It's one of the most profound books of Jewish ethics um, and uh, the essence of what it means to be a Jew. Not Halacha. But what it means to be a Jew, a theological guide that we have even to this day, and we're hundreds of years later, the Shlah says as follows: The Gemara says, Esther Min Teryam So I've discussed this before in other contexts that Chazal sometimes seem to be making fanciful, um, how do I put, explanations or fanciful um, associations with words in the Torah. ...with things that could not have possibly been in the Torah or be meant by the words in the Torah. One of the most famous of those is Esther min 9 How do we know that Esther was going to exist by looking at the Torah? Good question. Well, not really. I mean, Esther happened a thousand years later, whenever it was. Why would we think that uh, Esther has to be in the Torah? So the idea that Chazal wants to convey is that there's nothing that happens throughout history, human history, and particularly Jewish history, that doesn't have some reference in the Torah. And here the uh, Chazal tell us the reason why we know that Esther was going to exist. What is the hint? What is the reference point for Queen Esther in the Torah? The posuk we've been dealing with today. For Aster, Ponem, Ponai. That word, Aster, is a reference to Esther. Esther min minator 9 from the Posuk in Parsha Svayelech. Harbet ta'amim, omu Rabbi Zal, says the Shlach Kodesh that the rabbis, Chazal, gave many different reasons. Mara'a Esther, shezimno es Haman. Why did Esther create this strategy that she needed to invite Haman to a party and then to a second party? Why did she do it exactly? What was the point? Why couldn't she just have gone to Achashverosh and said to Achashverosh, do you know that there's somebody who wants to destroy my nation? Who is it? Haman, why invite him to a party? What was the point? V'chad tama, one of the reasons that Chazal gives for Esther having gone through this strategy is that the Jewish people should not imagine that Esther was still a member of their nation. She's no longer our sister. They would be in complete despair when they would see that she was fraternizing with this person, this Hitler, this Homon, as it were, who wants to destroy, annihilate the Jewish nation. Kadesh Yisrael af al They should think that she too has become part of our enemy. She has joined the enemy. It would completely depress them. That's one of the reasons Chazal gives. Does that make sense to you? Is that, is that a good reason? It sounds a bit strange. Why would that matter? And the question, the shlo asks, the most obvious question in the world. Well, why would she think to herself, it's so important that I have to separate myself from my Jewish identity? And I have to invite so that they don't think I'm Jewish anymore. Kodesh Baruch Hashem. Because what, what's going to happen? They're going to think that she has abandoned God and that's the biggest khil that they could be. What, why would Esther think that that's a good thing? What, how does this reason of Chazal make any sense? Says the Shiloh. me'anoichi haster aster. And this is the reference point in the Torah. She learnt how to behave during the story with Achashverosh and Haman, the Purim story, from this pasuk in the Torah. This is the reference. She drew this information from the pasuk, Anechi Haster Aster. God hides his face completely. He abandons the Jewish nation as if he doesn't exist. Do you know why? So that the Jewish people should return to him, they should do Teshuvah and they should seek back the relationship with him that they have completely lost. Even though that you might think it's a Chil HaShem because what are the nations going to say? Where is their God? You might think that that's a bad thing. No, sometimes you need, you know, if you know anything about an intervention, You know that somebody's got to reach rock bottom. They've got to be, if if they're a drunkard or a drug addict or whatever it is, they've got to be in the gutter. They've got to be abandoned by their family completely so that they should come knocking on the door and say, I want to go to rehab. I want to get out of this situation. I don't want to be like this anymore. Esther realized that for the Jewish nation to do the level of teshuva that they needed to do in order for there to be a Yeshua, for there to be a salvation, a redemption, they needed to imagine that God had abandoned them completely. Now, when Esther was appointed the queen, guess what they were thinking? Ah, we're going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. Do you know why? (laughs) Esther's our sister. Esther's our relative. Esther's our friend. We know her since she's a little girl. Everything's going to be fine. So she invited Haman, says the Shalah. She invited Haman to a meal to convey the impression that she had abandoned the Jewish nation. Now they would go to the davening. Now they would do teshuva. Now they would say, Now they would do whatever they needed to do in order to reestablish their relationship with God. Now how did she know that? That's the Gemara in Chulin, Esther min ha How did Esther know what to do? From the Torah? From the posuk, Anoichi haster aster panai. She knew what to do because of the Pasuk, which was a hint to her name. If I hide myself completely from my Judaism, it's not a Chil Hashem, it's the ultimate prompter for the Jewish nation to do what they need to do in order to re-establish their relationship with God. Al-Keyn Diber Gimel Minayin Eile Me'inyan Dveikus says the Shaloha HaKadosh, so we know that the the whole reason here why Chazal mentioned this concept of Haman was so that the Jewish nation, the Jewish nation would recognize that even in a situation where God appeared to have abandoned them, in fact, perhaps especially in a situation where God has abandoned them completely, that is the moment when you can cleave to God. That is the moment when you can come close to God. We'll leave it here for today.